Our text this morning comes from Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You may be seated. Two quick things before we dive in. First, uh, it's really good to see people who are getting their vaccinations and back with us for the first time in pretty much a year. So that brings a lot of joy to me and to many other people here. Secondly, we uh, this you've really stepped up to the plate. You know, we're trying to uh, relaunch all of our children's ministries, all of our Sunday morning ministries, and we need 75 members to commit to serving. Not every week, it's between 14 and 16 Sundays a year, and we're at 68 people. We need seven more. And so at the end of the sermon during time of, of response, there'll be a link that you can be one of those people or talk to Amanda, whatever you want to do. So thank you for that. We are finally making it to the end of this passage. If you've been here for any amount of time, you have heard that we as a church are reading the book Gentle and Lowly together. That's why we have named this passage, this uh, the series Gentle and Lowly. We have taken this passage that Gentle and Lowly is written from. It's written from a verse at the end of, uh, in verse 28. Uh, but we've taken this passage as a whole and turned it into one sermon over the course of three weeks. So this is one coherent message about an invitation that humanity receives through Jesus Christ. The greatest invitation we will ever receive, and we've broken it up into three parts. This part, first we saw uh, who it, how any of us has access to this invitation. Then last week we saw who it is that's extending us this invitation. And now this week we get to look at what the invitation actually is is. So this invitation is an invitation to rest. Twice Jesus says this, starting in verse 28, come to me all who are all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I feel like we live in the worst possible culture in the worst possible time to really understand rest. There's so much against us today to to really understand what rest is and a biblical understanding of rest. I was, uh, there's a show called Emily in Paris. And so like the title says, it follows a young American woman, Emily, over to Paris. And in the beginning part of the, of the show, she's really frustrated because of the work ethic of the Parisians. She doesn't like that they take long breaks during the day. She doesn't like they show up late. They come, they go home early. They, you know, things are closed on Sunday. They take long vacations. And this is something that really resonated with me from my time in Southern Italy, where they took a four hour nap break 
Every workday, there was a four-hour nap break. On Sundays, everything really was closed, unless it was vital to the, to the city for some reason. Um, the, whole, the whole country would take August off, and much of the country would take July and August off. Just because you show up to a business and it says they should be open does not mean they will be open. And it's really worked into the laws of this country because if you ever charter a bus, kind of a private uh, a private bus charter. There are laws that demand that the driver should get a 20 minute break every three hours. And so it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in the middle of nowhere and that driver's stopping and he's smoking his cigarette. And so back to Emily in Paris, this French guy sits her down and he says, listen, here's the reality. You and your culture live to work. We work to live. And I'm not advocating necessarily a European work schedule here, but I am saying that at some level, our culture lives to work. In 2019, uh, more than half of the U.S. workforce left vacation days on the table. I, I don't think you see that in a lot of cultures. Here in our OGC staff manual, not only do we have a max number of vacation days you can take, we have a minimum that you have to take. There's, I mean, that idea that the work would make you take a certain amount of vacation days is foreign to much of the rest of the world who more naturally does this. And so the harder we as a culture push ourselves, the more we find ourselves becoming anxious and depressed and just worn out. And as best we could tell, we live in the most anxious culture that has ever existed. So why is that? What's going on? What are we doing wrong that we're finding ourselves increasingly anxious and even depressed? We're running very hard looking for something, but we're looking for the wrong thing. And in this passage, Jesus tells us the thing that we need most is rest, and he tells us how to find it. So I want to answer three questions from this part of the passage, these last few verses. First, what is this rest exactly? Who is it for? And then lastly, how do we find it? Jesus gives us all that in these three verses. So what is the rest? The rest Jesus offers is love without price. Love without price. And this is the struggle that we have in our culture. It may, we may... It's, it's not new to society. It's not new to civilization. We may be experiencing the struggle through in, in a different way, but really it always, has exact, it always has existed, and it's exactly at its core what Israel was struggling with over the whole course of its existence. So Israel was promised rest as they wandered in Canaan. The exiles of Israel were promised rest when they were released from the Babylonian captivity. King David's greatest gift to Israel was supposed to be rest, but it never happened. That rest that they had been promised has, had, did not happen for Israel because of their unbelief and their disobedience. They sought rest instead of in God in the form of a golden calf. They sought rest in the form of bad kings. They sought rest in the form of strong militaries. They sought rest in all the places that God was not promising to provide rest. And so now... You kind of fast forward the course of Israel and you find yourself in the day and age of Jesus and you have Pharisees who are, who are trying to find ways to convince themselves that they can accomplish and maintain the law. And so that's the thing, that's the place that these Pharisees are seeking to, 
to find rest in their own ability to accomplish and to maintain the Mosaic law. And you see from the beginning all the way up to now, whether we're seeking rest in a golden calf, the Mosaic law, or a full bank account, none of those things are going to give us the rest that we desire because they're not the place that God says we get that rest. I want to try and flesh this out just a little more because I want this to be really clear. We are all looking for a love that humanity lost when we rebelled. We're looking for a love that humanity lost in the fall. So we all naturally, in our, in our sinful states, we're going to put all of our hope in something other than Jesus to functionally save us, whether we realize that we're doing it or not. So we think we're going to be okay as long as we have that thing. So whatever that thing is. For the Pharisees, that thing was they created all these new laws that, that aren't in the Bible so they could, it could make them feel like they're actually accomplishing the Mosaic law. And then, of course, Jesus comes and says, not only are you not doing it, you're worse than everybody because of what's going on in your hearts. These Pharisees, they're looking for that accomplishment of telling themselves in the self-righteous way that I have fulfilled the law. They're looking to that to fill the void of the love that they did not have. So we may, in our context, we may not look exactly like them. You know, we may not all be looking for the law to save us, but we, we still think, I'll be okay if... You know, I'll be okay if I have this much money in the bank account. I'll be okay if I have this job. I'll be okay if I have my health. That's the one I hear more than anything. As long as I have my health, I'm going to be okay. I'll be okay if I have my kids. I'll be okay if I have my spouse. I'll be okay if I have this friend group or I'm in this social status. I'll, I'll be okay if I succeed in athletics. Whatever that thing is, all of us have it. Okay, if you, if you can't think of it, it's just you're just not aware of the thing that you have. But all of us have it. So what is that thing? What is that thing that you think, I'll be okay if? And do you know what that thing is? What the Bible calls that thing? The Bible calls it an idol. This idol is functioning in our hearts as a type of savior. Because at our core, we're doing the same thing that the Pharisees are doing. If I can work hard enough at this thing, if I can accomplish this thing, if I can maintain this thing, then I should experience rest. That's where I'm looking for rest. But instead of giving us rest in our souls, any of these idols, they're going to do, they're really just going to make us anxious. Because we're asking something of that thing that it can't give us. And we know at a core level that we don't control that thing. That thing can be ripped from us at any minute. So those two realities build anxiety in us because whatever it is we're asking this thing to do, it can't do it because our greatest problem is our sin. And we can't go to idols and say, make me feel better forever about my sin. Just think about how crazy this is. Really, I mean, and I'm guilt, as guilty as anybody, but this is, you know, if we seek rest in money and we work 80 hours a week to try and get that thing that's going to give us rest, but we're wearing ourselves out to get it and destroying our families to get it. Or if, if that thing is our children, if we find our rest in our children, we're going to get to a point where we realize we don't control them. And when we really realize that we're going to be consumed with anxiety and depression. Or if we, if that thing that gives us rest is acceptance in certain friend groups or social circles or or status, if that's where we're looking for rest, we're going to drown in insecurities. 
I know 100% my family is my idol, okay? I'm aware of it. If I have one, that's it. Uh, I, I could lose all my money. I'll be fine. I could lose my job and my, my, my soul will be, will be okay. But I was, but yet the thought of losing any part of my family and these anxieties start coming up. I mean, more than, than the natural person would have. And I was reminded of that this week. There's a young family of four in Oxford, Mississippi. My buddy is their pastor. He was driving the two kids to school and they got in a car wreck and they died. And now only the mom's left. And so now after hearing that, my phone rings and I'm, I'm wondering, is, is this my call? Is this the time that I get that bad news? That's my idol because I'm asking my family to do something for me in those moments when it's unchecked that they can never do for me. So what is it for you? Is it one bad investment? Is it one bad doctor's appointment? Is it one wayward child? These idols are only going to produce anxiety in us, so we need to name them. We can't control them. They can't provide what it is we're asking them for. They can't help you where you need it the most, but Jesus can. This invitation Jesus is giving us to enter into rest, he's saving us from our greatest enemy, uh, from from death and the wrath of God that is on the other side of that death, he's offering us to abide with him. He abides with us through his Holy Spirit. He's offering to be with us always, never to leave us, never to forsake us. And he's offering a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is, this is the kind of rest that Jesus is offering us and a kind of rest that we will not get anywhere else in this world. And the author of Hebrews He tells us that Israel's inability to enter that rest, that should scare us. Hebrews 3.19. So we see that they were unable to enter. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Jesus knows who he's coming to. He knew then, he knew we would be here today and he's saying, come to me and I will give you this rest. I will give you a love that doesn't doesn't cost you anything. This isn't a credit card that you have to pay back down the road. This isn't something that's totally withheld until we die and go and be with him. This is something Jesus is saying you can have now. You can try to find it on your own. You can try to do it under your own will or your own might. But Jesus is saying, there's no place we can go and find this love that we're seeking. This is the reason that Jesus came. And in this passage, we see that there's a type of rest that comes now, and there's a type of rest that comes later. In verse 28, Jesus is talking about a type of rest that comes now. I call this an instant rest. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. The plain meaning of this would, would lead you to believe this is this is something that happens now. He, he's not going to these people and saying, come to me and one day after my life, death and resurrection and your death, then you will receive rest. That the plain meaning is that these people would have understood that Jesus is offering them something in the here and in the, in the now. And you can hear this echo in Jesus' uh, Jesus's words from Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-five, where God is telling his people, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. So there is replenishment that we receive in Jesus, and that replenishment is the ceasing of the struggle to try and save ourselves and getting the love without any price that ultimately is what all of us are searching for anyway. 
Jesus can save you from the thing that you need saving from the most. And he's telling you, I will walk with you through any trial. I will give you rest from the weariness of your fruitless pursuits. But what Jesus isn't saying is I'm gonna make your life easier in terms of health or material things or money. He's not promising that here. He's promising that he will be with you and give you rest in the hardest of times. And when you think you've lost everything that matters most to you in this world. And this doesn't mean that anxiety or depression or worry is, is going to leave your life forever once you follow Jesus. But it means that Jesus will give you rest there too, in, in your anxieties, in your worries, and in your depressions. So Jesus is offering a rest now, but he's also offering an eschatological rest. This is a fancy word that means a rest at the end of time. This is verse 29. And he says, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So th- this, this, is, this is a different kind of rest. This is, this is understanding that there will be a day when we will not worry about money anymore. There will be a day when we will not worry about our health anymore. There will be a day when we not worry about losing loved ones anymore. There will be a day when we will not worry about our addictions. We will not worry about our anxieties because we won't have to worry about sin because we will live in a perfect world with our perfect savior forever. That is the rest that's promised to us. Now, let's see what Jesus, what, who Jesus says that that rest is for. The rest is for the weary and the burdened. Verse 28 again. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So laboring and being heavy laden, that's another way to saying weary and burdened, which is what some of your translations say. Those who labor and are weary. And again, this certainly includes the people who are listening to the Pharisees teaching and hearing them heap you know, weight after weight onto their soul, onto their shoulders of all these these additions to the law that they had to that they had to carry out, but it's not limited just to them. In uh, in the book that we've been reading, in the words of Dane Ortland, the rest that Jesus is talking about is for the discouraged, for the frustrated, for the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes, those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator, those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us, but suspect that we have deeply disappointed him, who have told others of the love of Christ, yet wonder if as for us, he still harbors mild resentment who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond what, we, beyond what can be repaired, who are convinced we've permanently dis- diminished our usefulness to the Lord, who have been swept off our feet by perplexing pain and wondering how can we keep living under such numbing darkness, who look at our lives and know how to interpret the data only by concluding that God is fundamentally stingy. So who is this rest for? It's for sinners and for sufferers. And unless you see that, you will never get the rest that you long for. So when I look at our culture, there there may be some law-bound areas of it. But largely, I don't see law being the issue. I see 21st century Western idols as the issue. 
And one of the main problems about idols, we talked about how it gives us anxiety, but another thing that idols do is just, it blinds us and it numbs us to being able to see what our real problem is. So I have an aunt who is totally lost in the world of, uh, of fashion and clothing and jewelry and bank accounts and vacations and zip codes. And really just hearing her talk wears me out. And, she told me years ago that she believes that fundamentally, if you do more good than bad, then you get to heaven. And there's so many holes in, in that. But what I want us to see is the way, the way that her idols are affecting her ability to see her main problem. Because all these little idols, they're giving her just enough of a fix or just enough of a high to not see her main problem. Because her main problem is the same as my main problem. It's sin but she's not seeing that because she's letting her idols numb her and medicate her and give her just enough high to get through it. And as a result, she is one of the most anxious and medicated people that I know. And some of you are thinking, Jim, what are you saying? What if she's watching? I hope she's watching, but I I bet my bank account that she's not. That's right. I don't care about my bank account. That's been established. My wife might want me to think a little more about my bank account. But all we have to see, Jesus is saying, is see our real burden. That's it. When we see our burden, that's the burden is the very thing that qualifies us for the rest that Jesus is offering us. And because there's no culture, no ethnicity, no socioeconomic group, there's no temperament that has the market on burdens. Everybody has burdens. So that means that this offer is for all types of people. Because we are all burdened. But everyone is not going to get this rest. So how is it that we find this rest? This is the last thing that I want to do with this passage. You find this rest by going to Jesus and putting his yoke on you. So I didn't grow up farming. So I remember the first time I read this, I was like, I didn't know what a yoke was. I didn't know that a yoke is this, this kind of harness that you put on a beast like an oxen to be able to pull a really heavy weight. But so then when I learned what, an, what a yoke was, I was even more confused. So wait, the, the cure to the, the struggle and the rest you're giving is to put on this harness to pull something heavy. That doesn't make any sense to me, Jesus. Jesus is telling us, though, that the yoke is very different than what we would think on an oxen. Jesus is saying, learn from me, be my disciple, put off the burden of the Pharisaical teachings, and we should put off the burden of the teachings of our culture and come under his teaching. And he says the work that Israel failed to do and the work that we need to do to find this rest is belief. That, that's the yoke. That's the harness. That's the burden. Belief. That's what he's saying. Verse 29, in John 6, 29, Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And that work of believing is the thing that's gonna make us wanna do everything else in the Christian life, want to be more of his disciple, want to be conformed more into his image. And then, and only then, do we understand that Jesus's yoke is a non-yoke. You know, Ortland says Jesus's yoke is, is the same thing, is what Jesus's yoke to us is like a helium to a balloon. You know, or a, a life jacket to a drowning person. I mean, can you imagine a drowning person being thrown a life jacket and they're saying, that's just too big a burden to put on, put on my shoulders. That's what every human does when we say no to Jesus Christ. 
Tim Keller says the simplicity of Jesus' promise is both striking and refreshing. Jesus doesn't offer us a fourfold path to peace-giving enlightenment like the Buddha did. He doesn't give us five pillars of peace through submission as Islam does, nor does he give us 10 ways to relieve your weariness, which we pragmatic, self-help-oriented 21st century Americans are so drawn to. Unique to anyone else in human history, Jesus simply offers himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us. So why don't we run to Jesus? Why don't we all naturally run to Jesus? Because we don't see clearly who it is that is bidding us to come. And this was all last week's sermon, so go back and listen to that if you haven't. But this passage is the only place in the Bible that we're given a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, my heart is gentle and lowly. And again, I'm drawing from the book here, but gentle means meek. So Jesus isn't trigger happy, he isn't harsh, he's not reactionary, he's not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person who has ever walked this earth, and the posture that is most natural to Jesus is not a pointing finger, but open arms. So he's gentle, and then he's lowly. And the words gentle and lowly, they certainly overlap. Together they communicate humility. Jesus is humble. Jesus is lowly. He's gentle, and what's really being communicated is that he's accessible and he's approachable. So for all his resplendent glory, for all his dazzling holiness, the thing that mainly makes Jesus unique in all of human history is how approachable he is. He has become lowly to the point that any of us, no matter how broken, no matter how far gone it feels like, any of us can approach him. No prerequisites. There are no hoops to jump through. Is this how you imagine God? Gentle and lowly. Here's how I think much of our culture thinks about God. I had a meeting this week out on Disney property. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go on I didn't get to go on any parks, but I was on property, so I got to experience something I haven't experienced before. These new crazy Disney mask enforcers. I don't know how many of you have been out there, but they got everything Disney does, they do well. So they're enforcing masks. And the moment you pull your mask down, people come out from out of nowhere yelling at you, put that mask back on. If you just wipe your face or just a quick sip of a coffee, people are coming out of nowhere saying, follow the rules, put that mask back on. And I think that's how we think of God, only we might have a taser in his hand. And Disney does a, a really good job. It's killing the magical vibe. But that, that's how I think far too many of us think of God. Not gentle and lowly. We, we think of him as a, as a Disney mask enforcer. And that's not a God that any of us is going to want to come to, is going to want to serve. And that's not what Jesus is communicating to us about his heart. And if you remember from last week, Jesus is the embodiment of the character of God. And so this is not just Jesus' heart. This is God the Father's heart and God the Holy Spirit's heart. He's not a slave master. He is not a Disney mask enforcer. He does not stand over us and crack a whip demanding things, looking down on us. He is He is gentle. He is lowly. He gets as low as necessary to lift us up. In all of our junk, in all of our burdens, in all of our weariness. That's what Jesus is communicating about his heart. So this call is for all of us. 
It's for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for some time. And it's for those of us who maybe today make our first decision for Jesus Christ. The Israelites, they could not enter the rest because of their unbelief. Let us not make the same mistake. The work we have to do, the burden we bear, the yoke that we put on is believing. Believing in Jesus and doing this by believing his promises for some of us for the very first time and then for all of us daily and hourly because that's the work that is needed to do to enter into the rest of God. So go back to that idol in your life, that thing that you had in your head. Here's the cool thing about reorienting things where Jesus is now your savior because now whatever that idol was, you're not asking things of it that it can't provide because Jesus is providing it for you. You don't have anxiety that, that comes from lack of control of that thing because you know Jesus is in control of everything and you're getting everything you ultimately need, specifically the love of God through Jesus. So now we're freed up to enjoy these things that used to be our idols. We can enjoy them so much more now that we're not relying on them to feel better about our sin. And so I wanna specifically talk to the children in the room today. Most of you in the room are gonna be between third grade and 12th grade. And I want you if, you, if you remember anything that Pastor Jim said to you in all the years of preaching, hopefully I get many here, it's that God is good. God desires to come all the way down to you to lift you up. So ask yourself, are you drowning and resisting the life jacket? Are, are you the sinking balloon that's just saying no to the helium that you need? Do you feel the burden of trying to be somebody that you can't be? You can't be to other people, the burden of being somebody to God that you can't be outside of Jesus Christ. Do you feel weary from living up to expectations? Maybe their expectations, maybe they're high, maybe they're unrealistic. Maybe they come from friends. Maybe they come from teachers. Maybe they come from your parents. These are the type of burdens that Jesus wants to lift from you. And so what I, here's a challenge I wanna give you. I want you to say yes to Jesus. And then I want you to tell it to your parents. And then I want you to tell it to the church by being baptized. And I wanna do that on Easter. For those of you who say yes, I mean, let's be honest, how often do you get to wear your bathing suit to church on Easter? So I challenge the children, but this promise is for all of us. Enter this rest. Receive this love that comes with no price that we access simply by believing. This invitation is richer, it's more rewarding, and it's sweeter than any other invitation you ever receive. Let's pray. God, we come to you in very different places today. Some of us are, are reminded anew after many, many years of knowing you of the sweetness of the invitation. Some of us are grieved of loved ones in our life who yet to see this invitation is sweet. And we pray that you would open their eyes today. And some of us come to you seeing this invitation for the very first time. And I pray as scary as it seems that the sweetness and the grandeur and the all would, would be greater and that we would respond to Jesus. God, we thank you. We love you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.